The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Jesus told his disciples in the 16th chapter of John that in the world they would have tribulations. I don't think anyone listening to me today who's a child of God doubts that statement. The world is filled with troubles and trials, and the Christian is in a constant state of spiritual warfare. There's no rest for the Christian here in this life. We must take up the battle daily. We've been talking about spiritual warfare here at Zion Church, and we've dealt with our trinity of enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Today, we want to turn our thoughts to the spiritual armor that God has provided for his children. Paul delineates that armor in Ephesians chapter 6, and today we're going to begin talking about the spiritual armor that we have, and in particular, we're going to look at the girdle of truth. We're told to gird our loins with the truth, and we're going to find out today and tomorrow how important it is for the child of God to be grounded in the truth. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
June 6, 1944, was one of the most important and pivotal days in the history of the world. It was the day that the Allied troops began to invade Normandy and for the first time began to put down the tyranny of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. Dwight Eisenhower was the supreme commander of the Allied forces and on the day before D-Day, he sent out a message to all of those Allied troops. He said, soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. And then he said this. He said, your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. And then he went on to express confidence in his troops and to invoke the blessings of Almighty God. Now, wouldn't it have been foolish and fatal for those troops to go to war unprepared and underestimating their enemy. Imagine if instead Eisenhower had said, hey, you need to feel good about yourself. You need to live your best life now. The enemy's really just misunderstood. We're not even really sure he is our enemy, if he even exists at all. Now, how, how crazy and foolish do we think that would be? And yet, unfortunately, that's the message in many of the churches of the religious world today. Imagine the slaughter on D-Day if our troops had landed on Omaha Beach and not realizing that they would be shot at, that they would be attacked, that they would be uh, strongly resisted. And if they had shown up there unprepared for the battle. Well, beloved, I want you to know that God wants us to be prepared for the spiritual battle that is before us. The spiritual battle that we face every day uh, is so much greater even than the battles they fought in World War II because they don't have to do with, uh, with this physical world. They don't have to do with the material things of this world. They have to do with spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual war. God wants us to be prepared for the battle. And in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, he gives us some indications of what we need to be prepared for the battle that we're to face. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Paul here is giving us some information that we need that will help us to be equipped for the battle that's before us. I want you to just keep your finger in Ephesians there in chapter 6, but turn back with me to John chapter 16. And I want to read to you Jesus Christ's D-Day speech. 
Jesus' D-Day speech. In chapter 16 and verse 32, now remember the context here. Jesus began in chapter 14 with a pretty much a soliloquy. It was, a, it was just him talking from here all the way through chapter 17 as he was preparing his disciples for Calvary. He knew that Calvary was looming on the horizon. The disciples didn't get it. He was preparing them for what was to come. And here he says this. This is his D-Day speech. Verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Now, this literally was talking about what happened when they came to get Jesus. The disciples each scattered to the four winds, so to speak. You know, Peter, he said, oh, not me. No, 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 not me, Lord. I'll stand with you. I'll stay with you. I don't care what these others do. You'll never see me forsaking you. And yet Peter's the only one we really have an account of that he did forsake the Lord. <laughs> they all forsook him and fled. But as far as what they did, we only have an account of what Peter himself actually did. It ought to caution us against being too braggadocious, being too lifted up with pride. We need to remember how frail we are. And he says, uh, Every man to his own and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Now look at verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Now listen. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's the Lord's D-Day speech. He says, in this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have trials. You're going to have troubles that you're not expecting. And that's what we've been talking about in this past three messages that we preached about our enemy, our trinity of enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They are all against us. And he reminds us that these tribulations and these troubles will afflict us. Don't, you know, Peter says it over in, I think, the fourth chapter of 1 Peter. He says, don't be surprised. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that shall try you as if some strange thing happens. The Lord has already told you that tribulations are coming. You know, those tribulations sometimes are sickness. Sometimes they're tragedy. Sometimes it's just problems within a family. Maybe it's problems with your friends, problems within a church. There's going to be tribulations that you're going to face and you're going out to the battle. And Jesus reminds us that we each must take up the battle ourselves. We each must face the enemy. And we all are Christian foot soldiers engaged in a great crusade. Now, praise God, the great crusade is not to try to win the war for Jesus. <laughs> That's another problem. We'll get back to that in a moment. Truth is important. Some people think we're out there trying to win the war for Christ. We're trying to win the world to Jesus. Beloved, you're never going to win the world to Christ. The only ones that are going to be won to Christ are those that he won already. <laughs> He paid the debt for them. He died for them. He, 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 has, he has made it certain that they will be with him. Praise God. That's the good news. The, you know, the, the folks that landed on D-Day didn't know how the war was going to turn out. I can already tell you how the war will turn out. It's already been won. Praise God. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. Every knee shall bow to him. <laughs> but in the meantime, there's battles to fight. And it's a, it's a spiritual battle out there. And he wants us to know our enemies. That's what the last three sermons were about. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They're very real. And they're always working against the child of God and against the kingdom of God. 
And today, what we want to turn to is the armor that he wants us to put on. He wants us to put on our armor. And again, the good news is the fact the, the, the war has already been won and God himself has provided us with some armor, some spiritual armor for the spiritual warfare that we're facing. So let's, let's talk about that for just a little bit this morning. I doubt we get through each item, but we're going to talk about one or two. There is protection for you, child of God, in the battle. When you start telling me that my warfare is against spiritual entities, against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, I get a little bit intimidated. That's a little scary to me. I don't see that I'm all that important in the whole scheme of life. I'm certainly not all that powerful in the whole scheme of life. I, you know, there's, there are things, there are people in this world that are so powerful that I don't even, I mean, I don't even know if they would even acknowledge me if I came up into their presence. I've been in the presence of some of those people. <laughs> they don't even remember my name. I'm very insignificant. And I don't know how you feel, but that's how I feel every day. I feel like, what in the world can I do against spiritual wickedness in high places? Well, after giving us this, he says, Wherefore, verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, that's something encouraging to me right there, that the armor that I'm to take upon me is not something I came up with. It's not my own creation. It's not the church's armor. It's not the preacher's armor. It's not... Something that I had to keep trying to figure out uh, what I need and, and tweak it a little bit here and add to it a little bit there. No, this armor is the armor of God. It's armor He has given us. There is protection for us in the battle and it's armor that He has given us. And make no mistake, it is a battle. It is a battle. Remember what Paul said to Timothy over in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. He said, fight the good fight of faith. He said, fight the good fight. It is a fight. By the way, remember this too. Let's be careful. We don't just fight a fight. Make sure it's the good fight. <laughs> I've known people, even in churches, situations that just want to fight. <laughs> That's not a good fight. Make sure you're fighting the good fight, the f good fight of faith. He said, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto also thou art called. In other words, because you're a child of God, you ought to be fighting this good fight. There is no place for you and I to check out of the battle. In fact, Paul goes on in the second letter to Timothy as he understands within his own spirit that his time on this earth is short. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. You know, I, I, I long for that to be my testimony when the time comes for me to lay down my armor. I long for me to be able to lay down on my my deathbed and say, I fought a good fight. But i got to be honest with you, there's so many days when I don't feel like I've acquitted myself very well in the battle. You remember what I shared with you in one of the previous sermons about that song, I Came Here to Stay. It's an old Southern Gospel song. I love that verse in there. It says, it's a battlefield, son, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. <laughs> We're not playing around. The things that we learn from the Word of God that He tells us we should do it's not a recreation room. It's not a game. It's a battle. And remember what he said over in 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war 
after the flesh. That's an important point about this spiritual battle that we're in. You know, I love John Wayne movies. And one of the reasons I love John Wayne movies is most of the time, well, all of the time, the good guys win in the end, okay? And they usually do it in a very, uh, very big fashion, blazing guns and horses riding in and the cavalry shows up or John Wayne shows up or something like that. And, 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 and it's a very satisfying thing to see it work out in this world like that. But you know, the way it works in the spiritual battle, it's not a fleshly war. We don't war after the flesh. There are people in this world that if I looked at it from a fleshly standpoint, I think to myself, we ought to go take them out. <laughs> They're just doing things that are so wrong. We ought, to, we, ought to some, we ought to get up an army. You know, that's what the Jews were expecting when Jesus came. When Jesus came the first time, they were expecting him to ride into town at the head of his spiritual army, at the head of an army of Jews that were going to throw off the Roman yoke and fix all the problems here in this world. Beloved, that's not going to happen. I know we have an election coming up Tuesday, and I hope you vote. You ought to vote. I hope when you vote, you vote with a view of the scriptures in mind and vote for those people whose positions line up with the scriptures. I know who I'm going to vote for. I've got some thoughts about that. This is not the place to be preaching that. But I'm telling you, you need to vote, Christian, according to Christian values. You need to vote uh, according to what the Bible says. But do not ever mistake the fact that we're not going to win this thing through politics. I hope it goes the right way Tuesday. But even if it goes the right way Tuesday, something else will mess up Wednesday. Somebody we elected will have lied to us. Somebody we elected will end up getting swayed to do something they shouldn't, you see. You see, our battle, our, our, our war is not after the flesh. Again, that doesn't mean we check out, and that, doesn't, that certainly doesn't mean that we don't engage. We're blessed in America to be able to affect who rules over us. We're, we're blessed. You know, they didn't have that opportunity in the time of Christ, in the time of Paul. They didn't have that opportunity. The, the, the army, actually the, the Senate, but I mean, there were other things that worked there in Rome. And the army was beginning to rise to power. And the common man had no say-so. We're blessed that we have a say-so. But we do not war after the flesh. And notice what he says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our warfare is not carnal. It's spiritual. And you see the imaginations he's talking about there are the reasonings and the philosophies of this world. We're going to come to that in just a moment, but you know what will counteract that? Only one thing, the truth of God's Word. That's the only thing that will counteract that. So here, back over in Ephesians, he has given us six distinctive pieces of, ar of spiritual armor that were most likely examples from the Roman military that his listeners in that day would have understood. Flavius Josephus was a Jewish Roman historian. He lived during the height of Rome's glory. Uh, he lived during the time of Paul. And uh, in fact, I've, 
I'm not mistaken, he lived during the time when Jesus uh, was here on this earth. And he wrote a history of the Jewish war, which began in 66 A.D. and ended about 71 or 72 A.D., but whose ultimate, uh, penultimate point was the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. He traveled widely. He was favored by General Vespasian. He was the, the general who began the war in, in uh, Judea over there when the revolt occurred. The Jews revolted, and General Vespasian was sent with his legions over there to put it down. But in the midst of the war, Vespasian was called back to Rome after Nero's death, and Vespasian became an emperor. He became the emperor there of Rome. So Titus, his son, became uh, took his place over there. But, but Josephus wrote about this war, and he was completely impressed in his writings with the military discipline of the Roman soldiers. And he claims that they always carried their weapons with them, even when they were at peace, and not only when they were at war. He also claims in his writings that they constantly practiced the proper use of their weapons without ceasing. Here's a quote from his Wars of the Jews, book three. He says, every soldier is every day exercised, and that with great diligence as if it were in time of war which is the reason why they bear the fatigues of battle so easily. Now, in that day, the Roman soldier was the best trained, the best in shape of all the soldiers throughout the world, throughout the known world. And almost all the Roman historians, you can go back and look at Edward Gibbon, for example, agree that a failure of discipline and exercise in preparation for war was one of the primary causes one of the primary contributing factors to the fall of the Roman Empire. Here's a quote from Edward Gibbon in his, his uh, great work, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He said, The relaxation of discipline and the disuse of exercise rendered the soldiers less able and less willing to support the fatigues of service. There's a reason Paul was inspired to write about spiritual armor, comparing it to the Roman soldier's armor, because they would have understood that the Roman soldier was the top-notch soldier in that day. Beloved, Paul says you have armor and a weapon. But here's something important. Just because you've been born again doesn't mean you're ready for the battle. You have the ability to be ready. You have the, uh, the ability to, to, to put on this armor, but you have to put it on and you have to wield it. Being born again means you're going to heaven, but it doesn't tell you anything about the shape you're going to be in here. <laughs> A lot of the shape you're in here depends on how well you acquit yourself in the battle. And Ephesians 6.13 there says we're to take on the whole armor. Not just part of it, the whole armor. The spiritual fight, beloved, is a whole body experience. So let's go to the first item here of the spiritual armor. Notice in verse 14 of Ephesians 6, he says, Stand, therefore, which is, first of all, a reminder that we're to stand. We're to be standing. People ought to know that we're children of God. People ought to know that you stand for, for, for the Lord and for his truth. People ought to know that. Just, you know, I know I've hidden it before in my life, and sometimes you could look at my life and on probably any given day at a certain point and say, he doesn't look much like a child of God. But if I'm going to really participate in the battle, then I have to stand. He says, stand, therefore. Now look, having your loins girt about with truth. Notice the first item 
of the spiritual armor is the girdle of truth. The girdle of truth. Now, it's not like a regular girdle that we think of. It was more like a belt. It's wrapped around the waist and connected to the rest of the armor. Now, think about this. In a real sense, this girdle of truth, this belt of truth, is the foundation for all the rest of the armor because all the rest of the armor was... Uh, was attached to it. The belt was an essential piece of the whole armor of the Roman soldier. It wasn't there just to hold their pants up. <laughs> the Roman soldier's belt held all the other pieces of armor together. Other pieces were fastened to it, and his weapon was also fastened to it, his sword. So in a sense, the belt was the centerpiece of the armor. Well, I want to say to you this morning, beloved, that the truth is the centerpiece of the Christian's armor. The truth is a foundational item in the spiritual armor that we have. And doesn't that make sense? Jesus said back over in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is not just some truth. He didn't just know some truth. He is the truth. And that's what we're to be built upon is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of the armor is tied together by the belt of truth. God, uh, Jesus told the woman at the well, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you've been born again, you're a child of God, you've got the spirit, but you need the truth. There's many children of God that don't have the truth. There were those that in Jesus' day that didn't understand the truth. One man came to Jesus and said, I need you to heal my little girl. And he says, if you believe all things are possible, he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. There's a real sense in which every day we miss something. We need to be seeking the truth every day. We need to understand that coming to a knowledge of the truth is not what saves us for heaven, but it's what saves us from this crooked generation, you see. It's what saves us from this untoward or crooked generation. That's what Jesus told those Jews over there in the eighth chapter of John. He, he said there were some that believed on him. He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Notice he didn't say, if you continue in my word, you'll go to heaven one day. <laughs> Praise God. Because I tell you, I don't know about your life, but my life is filled with days in times when I don't continue in the Word. I don't say that, I say that to my shame. I, I should not be that way. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.